Welcome to Back from the Abyss. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. Today is Fishbowl number four. I'm here with my dear friend, podcast collaborator, co-conspirator, Chris Johnson. Welcome. Hello. Number four. Can you believe that? I cannot believe it. I know. What? Over four years ago, we were sitting in your basement conceiving this. Yeah. And you said, maybe we should just do one season. We started with one season. Yeah. And I remember when you said that one season, I thought, being, being an enthusiast, I thought, really? <laughs> to me, that's like saying, maybe we could run one mile. Like, why can't we do thousands of episodes for years and years? And you said, one season. I'm cautiously optimistic, <laughs> generally speaking. Yeah. But I think that it was actually really wise. And you and I have talked about that a lot. And I do, my memory is that you actually had thought of this, that in your basement years ago, you said, maybe we want to do one season. So we do a certain number of episodes and then we can take a break and we can say, do we want to keep doing this? Is this good? Right. Do we still have any ideas? Right. Are we any good at it? Are we any good? I remember a couple of times in season one, you saying, are you out of ideas yet? Are we, are we almost done? Are there more ideas? No, I didn't. I think you said. All right, maybe. Um, but I have to say, like, as we finish season four now, I'm so grateful that we did seasons because, you know, as listeners know, I'm obsessively listening to podcasts and almost no podcasts have seasons. And I think about these podcasters having to every week after week after week or biweekly or, or daily. And I just think, how do you come up with good episodes, creative episodes? Because I'm scouring my brain often when I'm running and I feel like I can come up with 20 episodes-ish, 19 a year, and then I need to go into a summer meltdown. Well, I do think you probably should give yourself a little bit of a break because the podcast that you're talking about, that's their job, probably. Mm -hmm. And they most likely have a whole staff to help them do that. But I agree. And you know, you told me before we started recording here that most podcasts don't have seasons, which I must not listen to as many podcasts as I thought, because I assumed that just like a television show that they have seasons yeah it makes sense to me i like seasons i like seasons because one is first of all this fishbowl and for new listeners um fishbowl means that chris and i are uh, in the looking glass we're in the bowl all the listeners are outside watching us so this is our meta episode this is our meta episode get to hear the inner workings but even thinking about fishbowl because you and i um, wrote some emails back and forth and talked and it's really helpful to think about what happened this season, what went well, what didn't go well. Because a lot of times we're just, you're, you and I are both busy and we're just cranking through stuff and it's like, okay, we got another episode in two weeks, but this is our time to just say. <sighs> yeah. And what worked and what didn't work Yeah, and what would be fun to do next season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the season, the season setup works to our advantage. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you posited, and this is one of the things I love about you, Chris, is like you just lay it, lay it out. Oh. Honestly, you said, "I wonder, are we evolving? Are we static?" Or, or, and I said, "Are we devolving? Like, are we?" Because the numbers are going up, 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 up each season, which is fantastic. Um, and but are we getting better, or have we hit some kind of static point? It's hard to. I'm just checking in. It's hard to know sometimes when you're doing this stuff how it's going. I mean, I know our numbers are going up. Um, and I think we're doing a good job. But 
you know, people around me are sort of chasing after this whole social media short time spans of everything, the TikTok, the, you know, the scrolling this, that, and the other thing. And I don't know, I don't subscribe to that, but is there some truth in people? I think there are two types of people, people who like and get comfortable with something that they're familiar with and people who are always looking for the next newest best thing. Mm -hmm. And for what we do in order to get your message across, maybe we have to compromise or maybe there's a line in between those two types of people that we just should check in about. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing I really like that's evolved, I think we talked about this last year is that you know, the original idea with the podcast was just stories, you know, like the moth, like psychiatry meets the moth, but Really now there's three kinds of episodes. There's stories, there's me talking about something, and then there's me sitting down with an expert, which you know almost inevitably is someone in Colorado, someone I know, someone we can sit across the table. But I feel like that's made it fresher. I mean, I have to say myself, there's a few of my favorite podcasts that do the exact same thing every episode. They even ask some of the same questions at the beginning and end, like, oh, here they come. Right. Here come the book recommendations, or here comes where did you grow up, and you know, and... There's something comforting in it about that, but I also find something really frustrating. And so I don't know what listeners think, but this is our podcast, so we get to decide. But I like each time, like, hmm, is this going to be a, another story, or do I get to talk about something that? I think it's refreshing. I learn a lot from all of the all of the episodes. Probably my my personal favorite are the stories, but I'm not in the your profession. My wife, on the other hand. Uh, looks to the podcast for professional advice. So some of her favorite episodes are the ones where you impart your wisdom as it applies to your profession. So I think we're, I feel very good about the, the uh, growth of topic areas that we've had over the last four years. Yeah. Thank you. And I know that there will be a fishbowl in the future where we decide to shut it down <laughs> And the, and the reason is because I think both of you and I are committed to doing something something beautiful and something meaningful and something that's not just dialing it in. Again, we're not getting paid to do this. This is our right. garage band labor of love. So, you know, I think you and I are on the same, enough, same page that if, if when there's a point, I guess there will be a point that where we said, you know, back from the abyss has reached its conclusion. Right. We're not there yet. Not there we're, yet. We're committed to do another season. We haven't really talked about that. But. <laughs> You're committed. I'm committed. <laughs> You're committed. Why don't we morph into talking about what uh, we learned this season, what was interesting this season, or uh, and I'm, I might just start with some ideas. I was thinking about this question, and actually what first came to my mind is a lot of what I learned this season came from all the listener emails, which mm. I always forward on to you. Yep. And thank you, listeners. I love hearing your comments and your questions and your critiques, and but just some of the things that have become abundantly clear is number one, there are so many people seeking and not finding good care. Mm. And 
oh, so I'm not surprised I've spoken about this on the podcast, but uh, there's a huge interest in psychedelics and a lot of therapists out there who are looking for specific advice and getting training. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm always happy to try to share advice when I can. When people write me for medical advice, I can't give medical advice. I mean, I sometimes give some very general kinds of right. things to think about. But um, And again, this is cool too. A lot of people want to share their story. And when we started back from the abyss, I thought this is a big ask. And will, will people want to come on here and talk about their darkest times? But I have a lot of people reaching out, and we'll talk about that a little later, some of the pluses and minuses of that. Um, and then I guess just what's really clear this season is Back from the Abyss is now a lot bigger than you and me. For a lot of time, it fe it just felt like you and me. Yeah. <laughs> For a long time, it was. Yeah. And a few guests. Yeah. But now there's like a whole community, and we've had 90 episodes, a whole community of people who've been on this, who I run into them, and they're so grateful they told their stories. There's the um, people on the front range of Colorado that I've sat down with. Um, there's It's really a community of people that I know and text me and reach out mm -hmm. to me, and it's so cool that... Back from the Abyss really is much bigger than you and me now. It does feel that way. Mm. I really like it. Yeah. I mean, I like being part of it. I, know. I don't I don't get recognized in public still, but I <laughs> but I appreciate what you're saying. And Craig does forward the emails to me, so um I get to see what you say also. So if you're gonna say anything negative about Chris, just know it he's gonna see it. Oh, I'll see it. <laughs> that hasn't happened. No, people love you. Yeah. yeah. In fact many people have asked when's Fishbowl coming back? Here it is. Yeah. What about Chris for this season? I I hate to talk about favorite episodes because as I've said before in Fishbowl, like these feel like all my babies. Yeah. Like, number one, you and I both are very committed. Like we're not going to release an episode unless we feel good about it. We're not like, okay, it's time to release something. Oh, here we go. Just put it out there. Right. No. Um, but I wonder this in season four for you, were there episodes that you were particularly, I don't know, proud of um, that were more meaningful to you that will things that maybe stuck with you? Well, there's, I have a, a couple of ways to approach that question. I, you know, from my part of this equation on the mixing and engineering side of things, the ones that stuck out to me this year were the ones that uh, challenged me in the way that I do my workflow, which is kind of technical way of saying stitching everything together, I guess. But um, the very first episode of the season, Finding a Way Back to Each Other, was mm -hmm. a mother-daughter story. And you recorded them separately and then asked if I could put them together. And it was that one was great because there was it was amazing how much overlap in the way that they answered your questions, which made it e easier for me to do what I was doing. And it was such a fun process to hear that um, that overlap because they obviously had given a lot of thought to their situation. Mm -hmm. It was so fun for me to hear on my end after, after I'd done my editing. I was really wondering, when would you put music between mom and daughter? Mm -hmm. And when would you just go back and forth with their voices? Mm -hmm. And you did both. Um, and there's a couple sound beds in there that were so beautiful. But it's interesting you mentioned that. That's one of the most compelling stories of, of this last season. Yeah. And yeah. it hit on an emotional level too, which, mm -hmm. um, 
is also one of my favorites from that from that side of things because that's the other I so I have the technical side favorites and then the the stories and that was one of my favorite stories also mm-hmm. and it was a an emotional story to be sure but um, you know it was just so real it is so real yeah and I'd encourage listeners. Um, if you haven't heard it, you may have seen the title like, oh, addiction, that's not my thing. This is really a story about being a parent mm-hmm. and being feeling so powerless and mm-hmm. scared and overwhelmed. And what do you do when your kid's in a place of hurt and powerlessness and you just feel like you can't help them? Yeah. Like, how do you cope with that? And again, it could be mental illness. It could be, it could be anything. It just happens to be in this episode. It's addiction. Very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, the other one that was similar in that vein was the abortion in three acts episode that we did. There were three separate stories from three different women and they were all different and putting those together. Um, it was a similar kind of exercise and it, I just loved the way it came out. I thought the stories were fantastic eye-opening. That was one of the episodes, that topic was one of the episodes that we talked about last year's fishbowl, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so it was nice to have that. I think you suggested that topic. It yeah. was, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big one. Yeah. And it was, I thought you did a great job and the, the women who came forward and told their stories, uh, including your wife, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. it was, it was, they were great stories, mm-hmm. hard stories, but it was done. I think we'd, I did a really nice job. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded beautiful. They told such amazing stories. And again, listeners, um, you know, with abortion in the title, I was wondering, will anybody listen to this? Cause it's such, such a painful topic, no matter how you feel about abortion. But for those of you who haven't listened to the abortion in three acts episode, I think you'll be really struck, um, by the power of it. I think by the balance of it, it's not, I tried really hard. We tried really hard not to have any political agenda, just mm-hmm. to say these are three women and three stories, and just and we're we're recording this before the last episode of the season airs. But the other part of this that you will have probably heard by now, as you're listening to this, is the conversation that you and Wayne had relative to that episode, mm-hmm. which is another thing that didn't used to happen now, but or didn't used to happen, but now does, is that there's real-time feedback with guests about previous episodes that I think is really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was the my second one. Can I tell two more? Yeah, Let's please see. Do. Um, I really liked The Way Out of Psychosis. It was a hard story to listen to, but... It was a glimpse into something that, thankfully, most of us don't ever get to experience. So I thought that was extremely interesting and well done. And I also loved the trauma and transference episode. Mm. I think I told you at the time that it was both heartwarming and heartbreaking. Now, I couldn't help but feel Alexandria's pain and suffering that she was going through, but it also gave me a glimpse into what you do and how you do it and what you have to do that I, even after working together for a while and being friends for a long time, I didn't really know. And it was extremely touching. Mm -hmm. 
So that was my other. Yeah. That was like take your listener to work day. Yeah. On, on a really, really hard work day. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciated that very much. Yeah. Thank you. I have to say, I'm kind of surprised when I look back on this last season, three of the episodes that were really meaningful for me were three where I sat down with friends slash experts because I was really determined to make Back from the Abyss, Abyss different. And I thought, okay, I don't want to just talk to experts because that's what all podcasts do. Like today we have famous person A or expert mm-hmm. B. But it turns out that um, there's a reason that people have experts on podcasts. It's actually interesting. But selfishly, like, I just love to connect. I love to sit down with people. And you know, years ago, we talked about this in Fishbowl, I really wanted all these episodes to be in person, sitting across from the table, kind yeah. of you know, Rich Roll or Joe Rogan style, um, not doing Zoom or video. But it turns out that in the front range of Colorado, there are some amazing people who are just up and down I-25. And so, you know, Will Vanderveer and Jeremy Sharp and Kelly Sonnenfeld, I mean, they are three amazing people and experts. And sitting down with them for each of those episodes was so fun. Yeah. I just love each of them so much. And um, I learned a lot. And I think listeners learned a lot. Yeah, and they were... Interesting. I mean, even for folks like me, I guess, that are, again, not in the profession, it's a pleasure. I said this last year, I think, when you talked to uh, Jeremy Dubin. It's just refreshing to hear two two professionals who really know what they're talking about talk reasonably about a topic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, there's no shouting or debating or any of that. There's just a good discussion, uh, educational um, discussions. Mm-hmm. Thank you. story or season five ideas um are we gonna go back to some of the episodes that that maybe didn't show up on our favorite list before we move on good i mean is it a coincidence that the psychedelic episodes didn't make it to our list oh that's an that's an interesting statement yeah say more well I can't say that I didn't like those episodes, but it did spark some conversation between us about where those, where that type of information sits in the overarching goal of the podcast. They're definitely popular. We know that. We know by looking at the numbers that there is a huge interest in information revolving around um, THC and uh, the mushrooms that were recently legalized in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, the last episode you mentioned a study about LSD and anxiety. We've talked about MDMA. These are all cutting edge medicines that I personally think have are interesting and have a place, um, but they also have a tendency because they're so new and the information is not as the data is not yet out there. I think it brings up, it brings out different sides of the story, right? Yeah. Am I right about that? Yeah. 
yeah, I think there's because number one, I'm deeply interested in psychedelics, and I think they're they are and will bring a lot to mental health and psychiatry. And you know, as you just alluded to, like if we change the name of this podcast to Chris and Craig is Chris and Craig's Mushroom Show, <laughs> and we just had mushroom episodes, we would probably have way more downloads. And but I think we would get bored, and and that's actually not the the goal of this was to talk about psychiatry through stories. Mm-hmm. And um, but we do get way more downloads with the psychedelic episodes. But one thing I've been trying really hard not to do, and you've been really good um, check on this, is. I'm trying not to be kind of a mindless cheerleader for anything because you could definitely hear on some of the podcast, you know, podcasts in general, but definitely some of the psychedelically oriented podcasts, this sort of like positive feedback loop of like guest, this is so amazing. And the host, wow, that's so yeah. great. And that guest like, this changed my life. And yeah. I was like, wow. And it's just this whole like happy feed. Like that like, happens in, you know, because we live in Colorado, we've personally experienced this maybe in ways that, people who listen to this show in other parts of the world have not. Mm-hmm. And we've sort of seen firsthand that, at least for me, I'll speak for myself on the, on the cannabis issue. I was, and I stand by the fact that I think it should be legal, but there was sort of the, the cheerleading aspect that happened early on that sort of smoothed over some of the rough edges that you've definitely alluded to and, um, I've learned from your work how some of that may not be as great as everyone says it is. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that it's not great for a large number of people, but you're right. I think we need to be very careful about how it's presented and that both sides of the story are. And I think we do that for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I think you've been so good. At, like after the ketamine versus psilocybin versus MDMA episode, you called me and you just said, Hey, I just want to make sure, are we, are we promoting illegal drug use? Are we glorifying that? Are we being ethical? He said, I'm not saying we're not, but yeah. I, just, I love that. You just put that out there. And I actually listened to some of that or sections of that interview again. And I, I decided, no, I think it's okay. But because um, I actually want to be exactly on that same page. Um, oh, and, I know you. Yeah. And that I... I want Back from the Abyss to be a place where people can come. I say get the get the real scoop. I mean, obviously, there is a significant percentage of what you and I believe that's completely untrue. And 20, 40 years from now, we'll look back and think, wow, how did we believe that in 2023? But right. I don't want to be us to be cheer, cheerleaders or on some bandwagon. You know, I want us to, again, where, you know, I'm a clinician, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a journalist, but... I do want to give sort of the, you know, the um, hopeful skeptics view. Yeah. And I appreciate that very much. And where that phone call for me came from less about the natural substances that we're talking about. If you can plant it at home, I think that, you know, and it's ancient medicines that have been used and proven where I get a little more concerned is when we start talking about underground therapies with synthetic drugs, mm-hmm. especially in light of fentanyl issues. And so I was concerned, and I don't think that it's our job to have to put a, a warning label on any of these things. But at the same time, do we have an obligation to 
at least mention the fact that you're taking some risks by purchasing medicine that you're getting from unknown sources. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really boils down to that. That and also my own personal recent experiences that, you know, everyone says, take these medicines and, you know, be better. Well, I took some of these medicines (laughs) and they didn't agree with me so much. I think you are better, maybe not because of them. Well, you know, I'm just saying that it's we I think that though it's you hit it uh, on the head earlier when you said there's so much enthusiasm for the potential that sometimes we lose track that it's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think, you know, there's a couple things that are pulling back from the abyss into the psychedelic zone, which one is um, you know, the the downloads are much higher on psychedelic oriented episodes. And I'm trying really hard not to get focused on metrics because again, this is not for money. Right. Um, But the other thing is, you know, in the first couple seasons, most of the storytellers were my patients and, uh, and I kind of handpicked people who I thought were really great to tell this story of anorexia or of meth addiction or schizophrenia. But the last couple of seasons, it's been um, mostly people approaching me, which mm. is fantastic. Like Back from the Abyss has gotten bigger than us. But I would say 85, 90% of the people who reach out to me want to talk about a psychedelically themed thing, whether it's an expert, it's a book, it's a personal experience, it's a journey, it's a trauma healing. Uh, and I really want to keep psychedelics as you know a piece of the back from the abyss pie. But again, this is, um, this is back from the abyss psychiatry and stories. And, and most of what I do in my work with people is not around psychedelics and probably won't even be in 10 years. A lot of it, what I do with people is just sitting and trying to hold their pain and connect. And and I I think the, the Wayne episode two weeks ago, um, showed that well, or the Alexandria episode, but boy, everything is pulling to having this be back from the abyss all psychedelics all the time. I do think maybe as a counter to my own concerns here is that, you know, with your ketamine work and the stories that we've heard from people that seems to be moving more into a mostly undisputed tool in the toolbox to help people with very specific mental health issues. Is that what yeah. Is that fair to say? Right. Ketamine is a proven uh, it's, it's a proven treatment. It's we know that for certain kinds of uh, depressive illness and certain presenta- presentations of PTSD, et cetera, that the ketamine is as good or better than anything we got. Like, right. That's clear. And it's interesting to me that that ketamine gets put into, is it technically a psychedelic substance? Well... Yeah, I mean, the word psychedelic means mind manifesting, and a ketamine experience is unbelievably mind manifesting. But it's not a classic serotonin 2A tryptamine psychedelic like DMT or LSD or psilocybin. So um, I guess it depends if you're a lumper or a splitter. I tend to be more of a lumper. I would call ketamine a very powerful psychedelic, okay. personally. Right. Yeah.
Do you have any thoughts for me, Chris, on how to think about choosing people to be on the podcast? Because again, the first season or two was more me kind of handpicking people, sort of hmm, looking for a certain kind of niche or position or story. But now there's so much coming my way. Yeah. And I'm, it's great. Like, I love that there's so many people that listen and are interested. But sometimes I think, wow, um, I didn't know I was going to be like a casting agent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's uh, both flattering that people are coming to you now where they, you know, weren't before, obviously. But it, I don't think you have nearly as much control over the situation. And by that, I just mean, there's a lot of reasons for somebody to want to tell their story. And before, when you had your clients on the show, you had a history with them and knew, for the most part, why they wanted to be on the podcast and what was driving their motivation. Now, not so much, right? So you're getting cold calls from people and you're having to make decisions just based on a few meetings or a few phone calls. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's different from the from the expert side of things. I, I think that that's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. You can sort of Google someone these days and see about their reputation and view their work, whether it's their own podcasts or books or YouTube videos or whatever, but with people who want to tell their personal stories, um, I don't know. How are you picking people? Well, I guess I was just thinking about that after I asked you that. I think I still hold this ideal in my head that the best stories are like the best stories of season one. The best stories are Elizabeth, are um, Ellie, are Chris, like those first few episodes that had nothing to do with... um, Instagram likes or selling a book Mm. or running a retreat center or trying to build a shamanic practice or something like these were people who, when we talked about coming on the podcast, each of them said, yes, I think it would be really meaningful and helpful for me to tell my story. Yeah. And so I think I still try to hold to this ideal that that the people who are telling their stories, that their primary motivation would be that they want to share what they've been through to try to help people out there who might go through or have been through something similar like that. That's the primary motivation. Do you, so the people that you mentioned from the first season, it was my impression. And I think it's an accurate one that they were pretty ill Mm -hmm. for some period of time. And I'm wondering if, if you, because you knew that obviously because you were treating them, how, I'm not so sure that those people, the people who might have similar illnesses without the connect personal connection to you would be the ones calling you up. Yeah, that's a good point. Because first of all, it's, first of all, it's a big ask because, you know, we record in person. I mean, I have gone to meet people other places, but usually it's here in Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. So for someone to reach out to me who doesn't know me, who has, you know, really serious psychiatric illness... And it just trusts me enough just by hearing my voice in the yeah. podcast, but it's going to come here, maybe have a few phone calls with me, drive up here, record. With, right, that, that is a huge ask. It sounds scary yeah. to me. And I don't have a, you know, I, I'm fairly healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That said, we, I've had, you know, like the, uh, the episode, the psychosis episode from this season 
you know, that man lived on the East Coast and he reached out to me through LinkedIn. Mm. And uh, he said, well, I live on the East Coast. And it turns out I was going to the East Coast. So I took all my recording equipment. And that was one of the most powerful experiences of recording anything of, that we've done. And that was someone who just reached out to me, heard of me. I literally just, I mean, we had spoken on the phone, but I just showed up in, in this Eastern city and met him. And we sat down and recorded that. Right. And he just spilled his heart. Have we, I'm asking this for the listeners now, because I know the answer, but have you had people approach you where you've met with them and recorded something and it hasn't gone well? Yes. Oh, you have? Yes. Oh, I thought I knew the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Was it based on what we're talking about where um, you just didn't know enough about how it was going to, you didn't know them personally? No, well, that the one episode that I recorded and couldn't use um, was a man who had been through a terrible psychosis, and he was going to tell his journey out of that. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that I wasn't able to tell from my brief phone calls and emails how, I mean, really how thought disordered he still was. Mm -hmm. And we recorded the episode, and I, I couldn't use it because it was his thinking was so disorganized and it, it didn't make sense. And even after a lot of recording and a lot you know, of do overs and the practicing with the recording off and then having him do it, he, he couldn't do it. And it was, was that disappointing? He was really disappointed. And I was so, I mean, I felt so sad and guilty. And I mean, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was to feel like I'm putting someone on the spot and then they couldn't do it. Um, I thought maybe I could salvage some of it, but I went back and listened to it and it, it really wasn't mm -hmm. salvageable. It, it just didn't make sense. So I think what had happened, he'd had such a severe psychotic episode. I had thought he'd mostly recovered, but it turns out he still had some pretty serious lingering thought disorder and other kinds of executive functioning problems. Mm -hmm. Did you, did that change the way you think about how you interview other guests? Yeah, it made me have, since then, I've had much longer phone conversations with people. Mm -hmm. He and I didn't speak on the phone that much. We emailed a lot. And it turns out he was a good writer, but he just couldn't do it verbally in person. But yeah, now for people I don't know, I try to really have at least two pretty extended conversations on the phone to, mm -hmm. to really listen to how people how they talk, like how their thought processes, can they, can they explain the difficulties? Because it's one thing to be eloquent or a good writer or a good storyteller, but to talk about your darkest times and your hardest stuff, I mean, that would be, that's hard for any of us. So, yes. so it's a big ask. Um, so more and more, I mean, I've been doing this all along, but now I insist that anybody who's going to come on and tell their story, that they do pretty extensive journaling before and they share journal entries with me. We talk back and forth. Like there's, Again, I've, I've alluded to this on prior fishbowls. There's a lot of preparation time that goes into before we even sit down to record. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, one last question on this, if you don't mind. Um, have you gone through this sort of more um, rigorous interview process and decided someone was not right for the show? Yes, in terms of, yeah, I have um, a couple times people I thought they just weren't stable enough or they had a 
hospitalization or breakdown that was too close. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently had a listener and therapist who we had had her episode all planned out. And she was going to come and record. And then she called me. She said, I just am so fearful that my family would hear, mm-hmm. even with changed names. And you know, we usually use pseudonyms and change you know, details of stories. And I said, great. You know, I said, this, you, you have to, this has to be your thing. Yeah. Because I, I think one of the things that's nice that this isn't for profit, we're not having to crank this out on a schedule that, you know, we, we can ask people to do this from a place of kind of altruism and I think good ethics and not like we need your story by next Tuesday, right? We're not going to get our advertising revenue. There's no pushing. There's no pushing. And, you know, and I've, I've had probably over the four years I've had three people bail before the recording. Just said, I I just, for whatever reason, it's just not right. And I, I, I praise them. I congratulate them. I said, good. That sounds exactly right. Yeah. In fact, if anything, I I would say when I ask people, especially my own patients, I don't let them um, answer right away. I said, give this a couple weeks. And um, I really try to talk them out of it. Ah, I try to test test them to see if, not maybe test, but give them sort of go the opposite way and say, maybe, yeah. Like I'll ask like, who would be the worst person in the earth on the earth to hear huh? the, your story and they're like mm-hmm. oh my dad like well let's just run through let's imagine your dad here yeah. this. like what what would that be because we have no idea you know once this is out we have no idea who's going to hear it um so i do take this really seriously i had a, a listener write recently and said you know choosing people for the podcast and putting them in in these really difficult situations. Is that ethical? Right. How do you do that? And she was questioning my methods. And I wrote her back and said, look, I take this really seriously. And I, I have a whole bunch of um, questions and stops and breaks. And, and you're another one too. I mean, you, you know, whenever I bounce things off you, I know that you're going to give me a 2000% honest answer. <laughs> for better or for worse. For better or for worse. Yeah. 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 What about season five ideas? Um, you know, yeah. what, let me just throw one out there, Chris. I just okay. love this. You, you and I were talking on the phone, I think a few weeks ago, and I don't know what got us on this topic, but this maybe one of us had been in Denver and some other big city, but the fact that there are not just homeless people all over the streets of big cities, but very, very mentally ill. Yes. And often psychotic. And that's true in Denver. I was in LA recently. I told that story in the podcast. I was in San Francisco last year, same thing. Oh yeah. Oh, and, yeah. um, and you said, I love this idea. You said, what if you try to talk to someone who is trying to work on this? Yeah. You know, sort of the expert idea. Yeah. I love this. Somebody told me, I'm trying to remember now how it came up, but somebody was talking about that the vast majority, and I don't know the statistic off the top of my head, but the vast majority of homeless people also suffer from mental illness. And, you know, there was the brief, there was the conversation, well, we should just take this solution, provide them more care. You know, there's a politician in California, scoop them all up and relocate them to somewhere, you know, and 
all of these points of discussion, I don't know. I've never heard this topic talked about with somebody in mental health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we probably all have, at this point in our lives, been someplace where you don't really know the state of people, and you can tell that there are some mental health issues out there. So I, I think it's a it's a topic that affects a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, in it might be like ways. a two-parter. There's so much to it. I think there's a policy part yeah. of it that would be interesting to talk to. I think it would be interesting to hear from you and other um, psychiatrists in terms of what's reasonable to expect. You know, why are, why are people with mental illness homeless? Mm-hmm. And is there a way to provide, you know, just providing them a tiny house in downtown LA, does that solve the problem or not? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know, but I do think it's probably a good topic for, for the podcast. Yeah. yeah, I love it too, because, you know, Dr. in the Abyss has been very focused on individual stories and, and topics, but this is more of a social level thing. And, you know, what we often don't realize, you know, we're all in our own fishbowl, you, you yeah. and I are in the mm-hmm. fishbowl right now, is that this is not the way most countries do it. Like if you go to Europe or Japan or um, Scandinavia, you don't see yelling, psychotic, scary people just wandering the streets like you do in Denver and San Francisco and LA and New York. You, you don't Fort see Collins. that. Yeah. You, and that's because in most other countries of the world, there's... Um, there are hospitals where, and the police or, or mental health uh, workers will pick up these people and they take them to a hospital and they treat them. And sometimes they treat them involuntarily, mm-hmm. but they give them treatment. And you know what happened in the U.S. decades ago is they closed all the big um, state psych hospitals and they deinstitutionalized. And now, you know, as a psychiatrist, I never treat these people because I have a private practice who treats the homeless mentally ill, if they get treatment at all, it's the jail doctors. Because you know, mm-hmm. where are most of the really seriously ill mentally people in the US? They're either homeless or they're in jail or prison. Yeah. They're not in hospitals. No. And that no, no other developed country in the world does that. So I love that idea for season five that we would explore a little more this thing that we just take for granted that, oh, you know, in the cities there are, are out of control psychotic people who Yeah are going to yell at you and threaten you. And that's just what happens. Is this, you know, we haven't done this in the past, but given the conversation we had just previous to this, if anyone's listening and has, uh, is this is their area of expertise. Yeah, we'd love that. Yeah, yeah. maybe reach out. Even better if you're in Colorado. <laughs> Even better if you're or in Colorado. take a ski vacation to Colorado, um, expert on this, and come see me. Yeah, it's beautiful in the fall too. Yeah, it is beautiful in the fall. Um I know uh, next year I'm going to do an episode on grief and psychedelics. I've had a few um, listeners suggest that, and I have that planned. I've also had a few listeners ask about internal family systems, and we're going to look at that. Um, what, also, do you, what do you mean by that? Internal family systems is a specific kind of therapy, particularly used for trauma. It's, it uses this idea that we have parts, that the self is made up of different kinds of parts, um, and it, it's using, it's speaking to these different parts and how they live in the body and how they sort of manifest in the kind of a tortured, unintegrated psyche. Mm. Yeah. Um, I also want to look next season a little bit more about how to find treatment. Because again, I get so many emails about that. Like how, how do I right. go about trying to find treatment? This goes back to what you were yeah. saying, one of the things you learned this mm-hmm. season. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, and then another one, and Chris, this was your idea. I think it was about a year ago, you brought up the story of a good friend of yours who has a stepson who's struggling with some pretty serious mental illness, and he uh, and his spouse didn't know what to do. And you asked me if I had any thoughts on that. And I think I kind of, off the top of my head, came up with this LLL thing, like the, you know, they and other families with a mentally ill or addicted family, they have the power of their loot, of their love, and of the law. And, you know, the power of love is real, but I think as someone gets really, really ill with addiction or mental illness, I think the love is less important, and that often moves to loot, number two. And what often happens, I think, when people have a family member who has serious mental illness and or addiction, and they're unwilling or unable to, to seek help, the family ends up enabling them because they're so scared that they're going to kill themselves or kill someone else or, or disappear, to, disappear, or go to prison. And so a lot of what I'm doing sometimes with families is trying to help them use their loot, use their money in healthy ways and not support anything that's particularly unhealthy. And then the third one is the law. And as I spoke about a few minutes ago, this is what happens in many countries of the world is that how very ill people get into treatment often is the law. Although in the US, you get taken to jail. In most of the other development, or developed countries of the world, it might be the cops picking you up, but they take you to a hospital and you're treated by physicians and psychiatrists and you're given medicine and you're not locked up in jail. Yeah. Um, so horrible. You know, in, in my case, and just to be clear, we're talking about someone who in, is young, they're technically an adult, they're over the age of 18. So the parents do not have any legal rights for some of this stuff. So, um, you know, the appealing with love by that, you explained to me of if you, you know, one of the tactics to take is if you love me, you will see a doctor and take meds once a week because you love me and I want this for you. And with loot, as you explained, it was if you want to continue driving a car that I pay insurance for, you will see your doctor and take your meds once a week or what, whatever the case may be. And where I came to you was those two things aren't working. Mm-hmm. This person is, is sick in a way that they don't respond to the, to the love or the loot in that way. Um, and it is a tough choice then to be the third option is I don't know how parents could be expected to do it. And so this issue of, of working, of, of how, what are some options, what are some strategies given the constraints of having an adult family member who can't or won't seek their own care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of family that I treat. Their young adult son been in and out of very violent, scary psychosis. And the only thing that convinced him to get into treatment and to get on an, a monthly injectable antipsychotic was they got him an apartment and a car. And that was my idea. Because they had given him all that, and then he crashed the car and went to jail a few times and, and was basically homeless. And I said, maybe, maybe the power of your loot can, can encourage him. At first, he wouldn't do it, but after a few months of being homeless and out of jail, he agreed. They got him a nice apartment and... 
and a car, and all he has to do every month is get his antipsychotic shot with me. And he's played ball since. Uh, but and again, this is someone who agreed to that, um, but there are a lot of people that are so sick, you're right, that even that carrot um, approach of money isn't enough. And just out of curiosity, in that case that you just mentioned, does that person who, does the son then have, uh, is able to keep a job? Mm. Part-time. Part-time. Yeah, school part-time. But what's interesting is he does have enough insight now that he's stable and on injectable antipsychotic that he can say, this is good for me. Right. And and I'm glad I'm doing this. And, you know, and they think that's what I think a lot of people don't realize is, you know, when we see all these homeless, ill, um, chaotic people, we, we, many of them, if we could get them on the right antipsychotic, they would be able to say, oh, this, be was, self-aware. this was a good idea. I'm yeah. glad that these people picked me up off the street and took me to a hospital and treated me rather than, oh, they took me to the LA County Jail and they put me in the psych unit with essentially no treatment and locked me up and then released me and I went back out on the street, which well, is, you know... That sounds like it would make the problem worse. Yeah, which is what so much of psychiatric care for the seriously ill in the U.S. looks like. Well, it'd be an interesting topic to explore next season yeah. for sure. yeah. We're definitely going to do that. On a lighter note, maybe a fun wrap-up question. I was thinking... Um, cause I feel so much gratitude for you. We, we've become such good friends and, um, I really, I really couldn't do this without you. I know I say that to you a lot. You're like, yeah, you could, but it would not be anything like it is. And so I was thinking, um, about what I most value in you, both as a friend and, uh, and a fellow podcaster collaborator. And I think the biggest thing is you are really funny. Even when you're telling me something painful, you like, I, I can listen to you. And sometimes I think, Oh, that was hard to hear. Like, but you're, you're really funny. And there's something, and I'd love your honesty because it's, it takes a special friend to tell someone what's really up, but you know, you can, you can, and you will give me a softball. Like, are you, are you ready to hear this? Do you want to hear this? And sometimes you'll say it in a very funny way. Um, or there's been times that you've things on the podcast that you really didn't like, but rather than just go after them, you often went in with humor. And I just, I, I love humor. I think it's just such a great way to, to talk about the hard stuff. I'm glad that you saw some of my comments funny. I was, I, sometimes I, I'm a little nervous because it's obvious, you know, what you're talking about and, um, you know, it's a little intimidating to offer advice to someone when you're at a little bit of a disadvantage in terms of the subject matter, for sure. Mm -hmm. But you have beginner's mind, which is that, you know, I'm so in this, and I've talked about this on Fishbowl before, I'm so in it that sometimes it's hard, really hard for me to be objective. And, you know, there are a number of episodes where I send it to you and I say, Chris, I need your objectivity because I'm just so deep in this. I, I don't feel like I can listen to this in the way it needs to be listened to. I need you to have a fresh mind and honest and 
Hopefully, if you have something painful to say, to say it in a humorous way. I get the easy job, which is you do all the heavy lifting, and then I just run it through and give you my opinions on stuff. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm glad that you appreciate my opinions on that. Um, it's been, you know, it's, it's super fun to be able to do that. And part of the reason I give you information in the way that I do is that I know that you'll take it for what it's worth. And I also know that if you don't like it, you won't take it mm-hmm. quietly. <laughs> you won't debate it or, you know, it doesn't, it's not a thing. It's just, a, you know, I give you what I think and you decide what you want to do. And I appreciate that. I'd say one of the things, this goes back to the very beginning of the podcast today, is that going back to the uh, the four years ago or three years ago in the basement when we were talking about this and and we, I said, you know, let's do one season. What I like about you is that you don't think like that. You think, let's do it for 100 years right <laughs> out of the gate. There is no, you know, there is, you're fearless uh, in a lot of ways that I am not. And it's refreshing to work with someone who, doesn't have the, you know, the sort of chirping in the back of the head all the time of, are you sure we should be doing this? You know, is this, is this the way we should go? It's just full steam ahead. Mm. It's absolutely the way we should go. Let's do it. Let's do it a long time and let's do it, you know, better and more. Yeah. And I'd love to, that we have, have merged around this idea that quality, not quantity. Yeah. Cause I think it was you no, actually, maybe it was um, Antonio Zachary who first recommended that we do this every two weeks. That was the best advice ever, because I just think if we did this more frequently, it would just feel like... I don't know how you could do it more frequently, honestly. I yeah. mean, with the front load of, of the interviews and prepping the questions and you know all of that, it's just... there's a, yeah. you, I know you put a lot of work into the podcast. Yeah. And... I kind of have three jobs, because I'm a psychiatrist, full-time psychiatrist. And I run all the time. <laughs> this is funny. As I That's fall- not a job. No, it is a job. No, it's a, it's a fun job. As I was falling asleep last night, and I'm getting a little hard of hearing, I thought my wife said, you run funny. And I looked at her. I was like, what? She said, what? I said, I run funny. She said, no. I said, you run plenty. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, okay, I run plenty. That thought, is true. I, but I thought after 34 years, she's finally telling me I run funny. Oh, that's funny. I know, but really. What if it was true? Oh, I know. Like, what if you were like one of those guys that just has the <laughs> funniest gait, you know? Yeah. And then my, so, well, I have one paid job and I have two other, yeah. Um, I run all the time and I, this, you know, but this is so fun that we do this together. Like this is, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, my name's on the podcast. This is about psychiatry. I'm a psychiatrist, but but uh, I remember after season two, we were out having a beer and talking about doing another season. And you said you were kind of burned out. It was COVID. And you're like, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm out. You could find someone else to do this. And I was like, I don't want to do it with oh, anyone else. Like, very sweet. And you said you could pay someone else. I was like, I want you. I said, if it's not you, I don't want to do this anymore. Because like, this, um, this, this is a co-creation. So It's nice to be in a, in a, on a team that is working well. It is nice to be on a team that's working well. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts? Or are we signing off here? I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay, a couple final announcements. Uh, I'm going to be at Psychedelic Science in Denver next month in June. Me and 9,999 of my closest friends. And 
if you see me, if you recognize me, come up and say hi. I would love to chat, love to meet you. It's so fun to meet people who listen to Back from the Abyss. And um, so don't be shy. And I'm going to be recording a couple up episodes there. And we're planning to put out a midsummer special like we did last year. And then we'll be back in the fall with season five. I love number five. It's one of my favorite numbers. It seems like an auspicious number for mm -hmm. good things. I know that about you. <laughs> if you do see Craig, you'll know by uh, his funny walk. <laughs> <laughs> if you see me running to a session, you'll say, yeah. He runs funny. That must be uh, Dr. Craig Heacock. Hey, do you run plenty or you run funny? <laughs> plenty. <laughs> All right. Great All to right. be here. Yeah. Adios. <laughs>